Welcome to 27 Speaks, a weekly podcast with the staff of the Express News Group who share their insights into the latest stories making news on the east end of Long Island. 27 Speaks is sponsored by the law firm of Toomey, Latham, Shea, Kelly, Dubin, and Corderaro. Strong advocacy and attentive counsel. Be well advised. SuffolkLaw.com. All right, we are recording. Hi, everyone. It's cold again. Back into winter. I was almost ready to light a fire in my fireplace. And we were just, before we came on, we were talking about windows and our need to replace them. Nothing like a cold, drafty day to realize that you didn't buy a summer house. <laughs> right. So. You stand by my kitchen window. You feel can the breeze. feel breeze. <laughs> <laughs> Except in summer when it's just hot. <laughs> it's kind of like the subway it's never what the temperature that you want it to be you know like i remember like going down to the subway on a 105 degree day and it's like 108 underground it's like how is this possible you never understood that so so here we are once again um today we're gonna thought we would talk about something that's been um very interesting for the last year because i don't think i don't think it's shaken out the way everybody thought it would and that is the restaurant scene on the East end, you know, when the pandemic hit restaurants were forced to close and really shift into a new business mode. So that's kind of what we're going to talk about is sort of what the last year has brought and, um, and what we're looking at going into the summer season. So, um, manning the controls this week is Bill Sutton. Hiya, Bill. Hiya, Annette. I'm Bill Sutton. I'm the managing editor of the Express News Group. And we also have Catherine Manu here, Catherine G. Manu. <laughs> hey, Annette. I'm Catherine Manu, sometimes known as Georgie, and I am one of the publishers of the Express News Group. And we have uh, Brendan O'Reilly's with us today, looking very presidential because his backdrop is the Oval Office. Hey, Brendan. Yes, I specifically picked out this backdrop for the podcast because... Because <laughs> you can see you know, it. Oh, wait, no, well. you can't. <laughs> Hi, my name is Brendan O'Reilly, and I'm the features editor of the Express News Group. And my name is Annette Hinkle, and I'm the arts and living editor of the Express News Group. And we also brought in with us today, Michael Wright. And Michael is a senior reporter for the Express News Group. And Michael also knows quite a bit about the restaurant scene on the East End, having toiled behind many a bar um, and other, uh, I'm sure you've done everything at a restaurant in your career. Is that right, Mike? Yeah. Yeah. I met Michael when I was 16 or 17 years old and he was an expediter at East Hampton Point and I was a waitress. So how did that work? Michael, tell us the secrets. (laughs) <laughs> what was Georgie like as a 16 year old if he spells I spell it's not good for any of us <laughs> wow a lot of silence here well, everybody worked at East Hampton Point I mean, the, the permutations into this community of that place is, uh, is endless so what is that place now is it open any, is it um, operating at this point nope no. just got bought by some hedge fund and apparently they're going to lease the restaurant. I haven't heard of anybody having picked up the lease for this year yet or not. So that's kind of interesting, Mike. Maybe we could jump off at that point, which is, you know, usually at this time of year, there's the huge restaurant shuffle, you know, like a bunch of things from the previous year are gone and a bunch of new things are coming up in their place. But it seems like ironically in the pandemic that um, we didn't lose nearly as many restaurants that we sort of initially thought might have gone out. Is that accurate? Uh, it seems that way. Yeah. Um, 
uh, you know, a year ago when this whole thing started and they started closing down restaurants and then let them start up doing uh, uh, takeout only, uh, there were, you know, I, I spoke with many restaurant owners uh, at the time for a story and almost everybody said, it's going to depend on how long this lasts. We can't make it just doing takeout. I think it was fairly quickly. They got back to half capacity and then restaurants said, yeah, it's still, you know, with the winter coming, nobody's going to have enough of a nest egg to get through because, you know, if you're, if you're not really familiar with the way the restaurant business works, um, basically, uh, as, as David Hirsch, who owns um, uh, Cowfish and uh, Rumba, said to me, he said, you know, I make money for four months and then I bleed $50,000 or $40,000 a month for the rest of the year. And it's basically just uh, about getting to Memorial Day and not having gone broke, literally. I mean, you're going broke that whole time. It's just, you got to stay above that borderline. And then when the money starts coming back in, whatever you had left from your nest egg the summer before is your profit. And in the restaurant business, that's generally 5%. And last year, it's like, you know, the pandemic hit just as they were coming out of the rough winters. Right, right. Which which a lot of people said was 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 a better time than not because it, it was a time where they were not busy anyway, where they were expecting to be sort of slow and yeah, you know, you got to get things going. You know, there's a handful of places that have um, full-time employees, Bobby Vans, American Hotel, Nick and Tony's, you know, where they're, where they've got enough business that they basically have year round employees and, and those people got hit hard, but you know, a lot of restaurants, they're basically hiring their whole staff in, in early May, you know, mid-May when college kids start showing up and when restaurants get busy. And so it kind of just got put off. And actually, by the time Memorial Day was coming around, you know, they kind of were at that, all right, you're allowed 50% and you can, you know, the, the municipalities had all opened up outdoor seating by then and people had sort of found a way. And, you know, that really, that really became the story of the summer. Um, a lot of restaurants ended up saying, you know, I didn't actually have as terrible a summer as we had feared we were gonna at some point. And frankly, some of them had up summers, you know, they made more money last summer than they had before. They were, they were either, it was because they were a restaurant that pivoted to take out very easily and their food lended itself well to take out like Cape Pasa and Sag Harbor, you know, killed it. Uh, the sushi restaurants, uh, did very well. I mean, Suki Zuki, I don't think they ever opened their dining room at all. They just did takeout all summer long. And, you know, every time you drove by, you could see the see the bags lined up on the bar and on the tables inside because that sort of stuff people did take out. And, you know, restaurants adapted and uh, and they did okay. And then, you know, going into this winter, it was sort of the same thing. You had the second surge and everybody was like, well, now's when it's going to be the lean times and we're going to see what you know, when push comes to shove. And uh, yeah, it doesn't appear that anybody went out of business. The only restaurants that I know of that closed are the Coast Grill in Noyak, which is beloved and run by a couple of veteran restaurateurs, uh, um, Eric and, uh, and Pamela Miller. And uh, uh, the place that used to be Michael's in Springs. And from what I'm told, I, I, it doesn't appear that either of those were pandemic related. Yeah, and you, and you have to remember that also a lot of these restaurants that have been doing takeout or even 
um, you know, that have been welcoming a smaller group of people into their dining rooms, they're benefiting from obviously our huge population surge that, you know, really hasn't dissipated too much, maybe a little bit, but, you know, we've maintained basically summer level crowds out here. And, you know, fortunately for restaurants, a lot of people with um, disposable income where ordering takeout two or three nights a week is totally possible and within the budget. And even ordering takeout from places like 1770 House, it's a doable thing. So I think that that's had a, a really big impact on maybe helping to make up for some of those losses early in the season or your reduced numbers just in overall butts in the seat or drinks order. Cause you know, as Mike well knows being in the industry for a long time, you know, a lot of restaurants make a lot of their money in alcohol sales. Um, well, one of the things that Ted Conklin told me from the American Hotel when I had interviewed him a few weeks ago for a special business supplement that we did was that, you know, he was like, he thought that they were done because the American Hotel, if anybody has been there or more importantly, who has not been there, it's um, a lot of bar crowd. It's, it's a big bar scene. That's where everybody goes after village board meetings. It's sort of the place to go you know, right after work to sort of hear what's going on. And, and it's just this packed bar scene. Um, and I think Ted thought that without that, it was just not going to happen, but they sort of re reinvented everything and were able to set, uh, set up a secondary outdoor dining area and the bar, I don't think the, the bar still hasn't, you know, isn't, isn't really come back um, or is allowed to open, but because of the additional tables and, you know, he's like people were ordering several hundred dollar bottles of wine and um, it's a, it's probably a different crowd, but um, I think they're they're he's doing better than he was doing before. A couple of the people that you talked to in your story this week, Mike, I mean, they were they were talking about making infrastructure changes or or changes to their to their business plan that um, that they said actually improved um, you know their 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 operations moving forward. Kind of a silver lining type thing, maybe that. You know that moving forward, now that they've made those changes and made those improvements, you know they're set up to uh, to do better going forward as well. Yeah, yeah. A lot of them. I, listen, I didn't talk to a single restaurant owner that didn't have at least one month over the winter where they actually made more money this year than they had in any previous year. So, which speaks a lot, and that's to what Georgie was saying that there was just there were people out here, you know, year round, and uh, you know nobody was going away in January and traveling, and so you know, the restaurants had, had business, even when the COVID hit and, you know, a lot of every, everybody is marveling at the tolerance for sitting outdoors now that customers, uh, that customers have, which, you know, you people used to complain about it in August that they, they refuse to be seated outdoors. And now it's, now it's uh, December and it's 35 degrees out and they're happily sitting on a sidewalk, you know, <laughs> with a blanket legs and nobody's complaining yeah, well at least in december you could put a blanket on in august if it's hot there's not much you can yeah, do right. about you can't it get out of the sun you... well actually you have to get those misters you know like they have uh, uh, i don't i don't want that near my food Ugh. oh it's actually awesome i mean having been having eaten some really hot hot places in the middle of summer and it's not like they'd squirt you with a water bottle it's just this really gentle mist feels really good yeah, I've had those, I've had that experience in Southern California with those misters and you think it's going to be weird and you think it's going to impact your food and it, it doesn't. It is it's, lovely. it's actually just lovely. It is really lovely. So. You know the heated igloos that they have at Gurney's? Yep. 
So prior to COVID, they introduced this idea of putting up the, they call them igloos. They're basically like a, a geodesic dome. It's, it's like if you bought a geodesic dome plastic greenhouse or something. And they actually do set these things up with space heaters and they have blankets in them. And you could go out and you could order like light bites. You couldn't do a full dinner um, and you could get drinks and they'll make like really nice cocktails. And this was all pre-COVID and it was kind of perfect test run that they unintentionally did before COVID happened because once it happened, they said, well, we know there's an appetite for this. We could get people to sit outside by the ice cold ocean in December or January uh, and they'll come in large groups and they'll make reservations and they'll have to leave within two hours because they agreed beforehand that they're not allowed to stay any longer, which means we could turn over the tables faster. So we went back this past winter and instead of being in that igloo, which uh, would not be a good idea if you're trying to socially distance, they just had outdoor areas with fire pits and also uh, space heaters that were above head too. And they offered blankets. So it was a really, really great arrangement. And we had a similar experience uh, wine tasting on the North Fork with the same exact setup minus the blankets. So it was comfortable though. And was it, was it really cold out when you went? When we went to Montauk, yes. When we went to uh, the North Fork, it was like just, just a little chilly. But, uh, you know, it, it's one of those things where you're like, wow, this would be really nice in June, wouldn't it? <laughs> so so um so you weren't too cold in montauk when you did it we 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 lucked out that day i couldn't say that everybody who went that week had the same uh had the same experience that we did but i i mean now that we've done this you know two winters in a row i think we'd all love to just make a tradition out of it as long as they keep offering it people seem to love the outdoor dining. So, and I'm just wondering, Mike, like what's the story on outdoor dining returning, especially to like Southampton Village, West Hampton Beach, and maybe Sag Harbor? Because I think they were given special permits, uh, ability to do this. And I just wonder if that's carrying forward this summer. Yeah, almost every municipality um, adopted that under, you know, an emergency provision uh, that was to expire. And as far as I'm aware, none of them have actually adopted it permanently, but all of them are discussing it. And it, I haven't really heard any objections. Mostly it's about crafting the various caveats to it that they're going to, uh, that they're going to use to keep it, to keep it going. It, it's, I mean, everybody loved it. Um, it's, it, I haven't heard a single municipality say that they're not going to continue it even you know, East Hampton Village is very on board. They're just deciding, you know, where it should be allowed and how to do it. And they're going to change their parking. So there's some other considerations there. And I, all the villages are talking about it and both the towns are talking about it. So it seems like it's going to, it's going to be a, a permanent condition. I imagine they'll find a way to make it complicated. <laughs> but basically you're only allowed to, you can't add additional seats outside that like you're, but you're still limited by the capacity of the restaurant that's normally right. allowed inside. You could just shift some of those seats to the outdoors. Yeah. Well. And, and East Hampton towns, like East Hampton towns law is going to say you're allowed to move X percentage of your total seating to the outdoors. I think 30% or 
40% or something like that. That, that would allow you, so you're still, yeah, because you're still limited in your seating by the health department. And they say you can have X number of seats for, you know, your bathrooms basically. And, uh, and the rules are just gonna dictate where you can have those, where you can have those seats. Do you think the restaurants are, are gonna wanna con continue? I mean, obviously everybody loved the outdoor dining, but if you're losing, as we start to move away from COVID and all that, uh, and you're losing those indoor seats, uh, you know, what, what happens there? What's the thinking on the restaurants part about how they wanna, are they happier with, with the outdoor dining? Do they want to not lose the seats indoors? What happens, do you think? Uh, well, you know, and I mean, once it's up to them, it'll be a very flexible thing, first yeah. of all, because they'll just say, oh, well, it's a crappy night. So you have all your tables inside. And, you know, when it's beautiful, you can put some outside. And, you know, they'll, they'll learn very quickly how many tables people are going to want. You, you can be sure that once this goes away and everything goes back to normal, everything will go back to normal and people will go back to complaining about sitting outside. <laughs> that, will, that will take care of itself just fine. And there'll be like a, there'll be like a, a eBay sale right. of all those heaters. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, I think, right. Oh, totally. Those heaters are, <laughs> they're going to be a dime. <laughs> I have one on my back deck. <laughs> <laughs> I know. I, I shared a bottle of wine with you under that. We're all going to be able to buy those at, at auction. <laughs> so, um, so what's the what are the rules at this point? I mean, is 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 dining? You know, what are the capacity limits allowed in restaurants at this point? Have they? Is it all hundred no, percent? I've lost track. Or? No, I think it's I think it's still seventy five percent. I mean, I think I it's seventy five percent out here. Seventy five percent. And bars and bars themselves cannot open unless people are being served food at yeah, the bar is that that's right? still the case i don't know how did the talk house arrange their their reopening the other night for nancy's concert they um we talked to them about that a couple weeks ago what was that was that um uh 33 that was right. like a venue uh, that wasn't really a restaurant considered more a venue so i think that they were allowed to have 40 people in the building um and i guess they had to be seated at tables like they couldn't cluster around the bar or um, stand up and watch the music. I think they're the only bar only east of the canal, right? Are there any other only bars east of the canal? I mean, there's Quaggy's Pub and them. I can't think of any other places that are bars only. There anyway. was the blue collar bar, but they were a victim of COVID, right? Right, right. Blue collar. I mean, Liars. Oh, uh, Liars has food. Do they have food? So. Mm -hmm. I mean, let's be honest, like, isn't a, a like dinner roll of food item? You know what I mean? Like, well, I mean, that's kind of like the corner bar used to sell, or and maybe they still do the White Castle burgers. And it's like, that's how you get around it, right? <laughs> right. Well, I think there were rules about that, that it had to be real food. Like you couldn't, like they were calling them Cuomo fries for a while there, because right. you couldn't just have French fries and sell booze. <laughs> So a couple things. One, if you could just bring in White Castle or whatever, like, you know, the Bordy Barn serves hot dogs. Right. So if our definition of, of uh, bar and restaurant means you just need a little bit of food, you know, everybody, everybody's a restaurant because, right. I, you know, 2.30 down, I would always consider that a bar. Occasionally they would do a buffet night, but, you know, that would be a place to get a drink, even though, yeah, I think you could like order fries or, or get a bag of chips. You know, I would always consider it a bar you know, closer to me out West, uh, we had a, a brewery open and somehow they're open, you know, they're open with social distancing and they do have uh, Cuomo chips with your beer order. 
yeah. because otherwise this brand new brewery that could have never opened because their opening date was during the pandemic uh, without those Cuomo chips or what, whatever pretzels are they're giving people, they, they would be out of business already before they opened. God, imagine opening a business like that in this time must have been really stressful. A lot of them have done it. <laughs> I mean, you know, Eater uh, has their running list of restaurants that have gone out of business, but they also have a running list of restaurants that have opened in the middle of all this. And, you know, it's, people are scrambling for, for uh, good takeout and new places to eat. And so, you know, I think, I think you know, in, in a food centric place like New York City, and out here, you know, to a certain extent too, it's, you know, people, people are excited for takeout food. Even, you know, even Doug Gulia at Plaza Cafe, who admitted that, you know, he just didn't think, and just like, you know, Mark Smith at, at Nick and Tony's had said to me last spring, it's like, you know, we're just not a takeout place, but people, <laughs> people took it out anyway, you know, and, and they all learned, they all learned how to present their stuff the best way possible. Local support comes from the law firm of Toomey, Latham, Shea, Kelly, Dubin, and Corderaro. In these trying times, working full-time for their clients and the public interest, providing strong advocacy and attentive counsel, be well advised. SuffolkLaw.com It was very creative. Like some of them, I think were doing, you know, like, like family style meals or where they, where they give you the, the, the container of food and you put it in your own oven, you know, at three fifty for 20 minutes, yeah. you know, that was just, that was really smart. And it's, I'm curious, like, yeah. you know, the, since this has been sort of the way that they've been operating in the last year, if, if they're going to continue doing mm-hmm. that and if there's still going to be um, a demand for that, you know, it's, it's like, maybe this is the other thing that's kind of here to stay. It's sort of like, um, you know, home cooked, but not home cooked. I don't know. Yeah. A lot of, a lot of them want to do that. Um, they love having the, the takeout in the mix also, uh, you know, and I think that certainly this summer and maybe even next summer when, you know, this thing isn't really going to be gone, gone, there's going to be people who are still really going to be more comfortable with that. Now, you know, it's going to be a while before a lot of people, especially older people, even vaccinated ones are going to want to be, you know, in a, absolutely packed restaurant where you're shoulder to shoulder with, uh, with, you know, 50 other people just waiting for your table and that kind of thing. And so that, that I would think there'll be certain demand for that as restaurants get back to full capacity and, you know, full steam again, you know, mixing in a lot of takeout uh, is going to be, you know, it's going to take some consideration. You're going to need extra chefs, extra space, extra people to, you know, you can't just have your bus boys doing that. They got a bus table. So, you know, there, there's there's considerations and all that, but that's just going to be the business is going to work it out. And, and frankly, you know, restaurant owners now are all sort of celebrating to a certain extent and patting themselves on the back a little bit that, you know, they they worked through it as well as they did. They were uh, they were kind of surprised. It's like when you don't even know yourself, you know. And now it's kind of ironic. People might choose to not go to the restaurant, not only because, well, because you know, COVID will be over, but maybe they just don't want to deal with the crowds that are going to be out here this summer. So they'd rather just get it to go, right? This summer is going to be really sure. interesting because <laughs> a lot of people are going to be here. And, you know, it'll. It, I think everybody's also going to be re-entering 
quote unquote normal life, um, you know, at their own pace. Like there will be people like Mike said, who the idea of eating, eating inside in a socially distant setting, even fully vaccinated, like starts to raise the heart palpitations yeah. a little bit, but you know, then there's others who have felt comfortable being indoors, you know, even in the worst of times. So, um, you know, I know for us, we haven't really eaten indoors, but takeout has been like this psychological savior throughout the pandemic, especially when we were like really locked down. Um, you know, it was just like a, a something new, something to look forward to, just something different, um, you know, from the day in and day out that, you know, we've all come pretty accustomed to. Me too. I, I didn't do a lot of it, you know, certainly before the, before the pandemic, but I, I certainly see that as part of my life moving forward, maybe not as, as, as often, but um, what's better than having food delivered, you know, to your door. And as Mike said, they, they, you know, they learned how to do it right and package it right and all that. So it's coming hot and it's fresh and it's not like that, that floppy pizza that. Yeah. It used to be a mess. They've all gotten much better at making sure that what they deliver is, is, you know, close to as close to the quality of on a plate as it could be. Has anyone ordered from the coop? I got it. Yeah, actually, he gave me he gave me the um, the takeout. I, I did a story on him and he packed me up some chicken to go. So that's Ian Duke's ghost kitchen. And ghost kitchen is his concept of a restaurant without an actual restaurant. So they took the South Southampton Social Club's kitchen because they're obviously not catering events. And they turned it into a fried chicken restaurant that only does delivery. Uh, at a dinner recently, we ordered their family package where you get all sorts of wings and fried chicken and all the sides and yeah it comes very well packaged and it comes hot uh you all sound like oh. you've had great experiences with takeout we tried to get some takeout uh from riverhead or delivery actually and by the time it got to the house it was just like wow big, big mistake I, I think the only reason we did it is because we had some doordash credits if that wasn't the case you know yeah. we never would have done it and the the results were were did not meet our expectations in the least. How did you like the fried chicken from the coop? I thought it was very good. I, I liked the wings a lot too. Um, you got fried chicken delivered from Southampton to East Mauritius? We, we actually picked it up for takeout, but it still had to go all the way to Manorville. <laughs> well, you know, I mean, that's another interesting part of the conversation though, is you also, when you're doing takeout and this is for the restaurants themselves and just looking at their takeout menus and what that entails. And also when you're ordering takeout, like you have to be wise about it. Like you have to think about what makes it from point A to point B in a steaming container without totally falling apart. <laughs> and you know what, a lot of them are happy to accommodate that. Like we love uh, La Charlotte, the French place in town. And, um, uh, you know, I've asked them because we order from there, you know, at least once every couple of weeks, I get the cassoulet. And so I ask them, can I have it in the porcelain crock that they would normally cook it in? And I'll just bring it back to you, you know? And then also they have the best French fries on all of Long Island. They are McDonald's French fries made by gourmet chefs, basically. Absolutely the best. But you simply cannot travel with a French fry in a closed package for more than like 50 feet without it being ruined. So we make sure that they put it in a box, leave the box open, and then put that in a separate bag with the bag exactly. only loosely tied so that they, and then they travel, they travel okay. Otherwise, it's just like a big disappointment. 
I see a business opportunity to design new new um, containers that will keep food traveling. Well, they have, and you know, they they've made there was a thing, and I feel like maybe it was since the pandemic, but I feel like it was even before that somebody had developed a French fry that could travel that you could take home that they were cooking it differently it was a it was a way of frying it that it wouldn't get turned into a soggy floppy mess so like gmo potato some it was a coating or it was like air frying it or something so that it didn't have any you know it had no more yeah it's really it's really broccoli yeah there's there's ways to do that and you know that was something that david lowenberg uh, talked about very early on in the whole thing is that that they had to completely rethink their to-go container. Mm. And that's what a lot of places did is you had to, you know, it used to just be you had the aluminum dishes and the cardboard top or you had the, you know, the plastic thing. And those things, you know, just don't cut it when you're really trying to present something well. And so I remember David talked at length about the different containers that they tested for like sending bouillabaisse from uh, Bell and Anchor. And, you know, that would just be a big old sloppy mess and that you had to, you had to find a way to send it, you know, contain, you know, compartmentalized so that it could be just poured together and you would get what you were expecting mm. when you got home um, without it turning into the, you know, the card, the carton turning into a soggy disaster and spilling all over everything else. And, you know, and those are the kind of things that a lot of places shifted to those cardboard containers, which do let, you know, they breathe a little better and they look better. You know, you can, you can open a container and have it look like sort of what it would have looked like on your plate and even slide it out onto a plate and have it look sort of reasonable instead of it being like an upside down pie. <laughs> my mother would say it all looks all blends together in the stomach anyways yeah but that's yeah. not that's not real gastronomy. Yeah, no, that's ohio cooking flavors flavors are meant to be are meant to be balanced and, and eaten in, in what do you work at a restaurant is that what you're telling me <laughs> yeah. but i wonder do, do we think that um all of the people who came out here and kept these restaurants afloat all winter so they'll probably be here in the summer but like when is the big you know are they waiting for the shoe to drop like in the fall like to see what happens next fall if these people who help them survive the last winter will be here to help them survive the next winter yeah presumably that's going to be a matter of uh you know how things go this this summer and things going back to normal i don't think anybody thinks that they're going to have you know great winters uh with people you know customers lined up for tables on Wednesday nights in January again, you know, that's, that's probably not likely. And they, you know, I don't, rest, restaurateurs are not, uh, are not an unrealistic bunch. They, they, they know things that will go back to normal and they're probably just perfectly fine with that. Fine with that, frankly. I would say that I don't think that for more than a few years, we're going to go back to normal in terms of the year round population. I would put money on a decent portion of people who of course have the ability and the affluence to do it, um, choosing to stay here. Um, you know, I just think living in an urban environment, um, especially if you're a parent with kids, you know, there's gonna be a lot of questioning of that. And if you are able to keep your house here where your family is full time and maybe keep a little place in the city for when you have to do your business. I think a lot of people are gonna make that choice and we are gonna see more of a year round economy than we've ever had before. Very similar to what happened after September 11th. But I think 
even more so. And speaking to our accountant in Sag Harbor, um, that's basically his forecast is that he's just seeing a lot of families that are like, you know what, we like it out here. It's pretty, we can telecommute. Like we've all learned in COVID, we don't need office spaces to do our jobs as much. Um, I think there is going to be a bit of a pressure. Yeah, and, and they bought houses. Yeah, they bought houses. I mean, the, all these people that have bought houses, yeah, I mean, whether, they, whether they're whether they comfortable moving back to the city or not, and I think most of them will, I've seen it already. A lot of, you know, my street is a mostly second homeowner street and they, they were all here until Columbus Day and they've all pretty much gone back. Um, but, you know, a lot of people bought those houses and they're not going to rush and sell them. And, you know, they'll, if nothing else, there'll be more weekends and more, you know, weeks where they'll be like, oh, let's, you know, let's just stay in the Hamptons this weekend or let's go out to the Hamptons on Wednesday night instead of, uh, you know, just for the weekend. And, you know, I, I think, I think, you know, it, it, it opened the eyes of more people to the idea of the off season out here. And, you know, they're still going to go to St. Bart's in January and February and uh, some of them, but when they don't, you know, maybe there'll be maybe there'll be more weekends when they don't stay in the city. You know, it, it depends. Very good. So let's all go to St. Bart's next January. Apparently, that's a thing to do. Yeah, yeah eight dollar yeah. Coca Cola. Just don't think it's worth it. Go to Anguilla. It's still expensive, but slightly more affordable. Sister, sign me up. All right. So go and support your local restaurant. Whatever you do. Twenty Seven Speaks is sponsored by the law firm of Toomey, Latham, Shea, Kelly, Dubin, and Corderaro. Strong advocacy and attentive counsel. Be well advised. SuffolkLaw.com. Thank you for listening. Join us again next week to hear what's news on the East End. Our interlude flute music is by Allison O'Reilly. Our opening and closing theme music is Boysdale Blues, written and performed by the incomparable Judy Carmichael. Listen to Judy's weekly show, Jazz Inspired, airing on an NPR station near you, or go to jazzinspired.com. 27 Speaks is a weekly podcast produced by the Express News Group, which includes the Southampton Press, the East Hampton Press, the Sag Harbor Express, 27east.com, and sacharborexpress.com. Find us on the websites or subscribe through Apple Podcasts.